Before we get started, a quick disclosure. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any investment. And with that, hello and welcome to the Rangely Capital Podcast. I'm Andrew Walker, a portfolio manager at Rangely. With me as always, my co-host and Rangely's founder, Chris Muth. It is Tuesday, July 12th, and today we're going to start by talking about Amazon Prime Day, and then we're going to talk a bit about a deal that we mentioned briefly in yesterday's podcast, uh, WME's deal to buy UFC for $4 billion. Uh, so, Chris, why don't we start off with Amazon Prime Day? I'll let you kind of just jump in and take it. Happy Prime Day. Happy Prime Day. How's Prime Day been for you? You know, I was complaining earlier because I looked at the site and I wasn't finding it, any good deals. Like, if you just look at the list of deals, it's like one sold-out TV at 50% off and then a bunch of junk, which we can talk about later. But it sounds like you actually found a lot of really nice ideas. I, I don't know why my happiness is so agnostic to the orders of magnitude of making or saving money, but I really get off on this stuff. So I have bought a $50 Amazon gift card that I got $10 off today on Prime Day. And you had to use an Amazon Visa to get which that. Which I have, Which yes. people might think we're, like pay, we're paid promoters of Amazon no. by the end of this pro- yeah. podcast. But. Um, I, uh, let's see, I bought... A, uh, I was actually I was recently traveling and you were sitting next to me and I was schlepping all these books and I saw you had one of these Kindles which I mm-hmm. hadn't seen before that I fancied and I bought one of those today as well I got $30 on that off uh, today yeah, so let's talk a lot about Amazon Prime Day. So what is it? Amazon invented a day, which it's July 12th this year, which uh, it's supposed to mirror Black Friday slash Cyber Monday. Mm-hmm. Last year's was highly successful. Uh, there was a lot of criticism because, I, as I said, it appeared to be you get a lot of discounted junk or you can buy Amazon products at a discount, which I love Amazon products. Today's a great time to buy it. But if you wanted a Kindle, an Echo today, great time to buy it. You got a lot off. If you wanted something else, unless you could kind of like pick off one, one-off deals – it was kind of a lot of junk, but last year's was a huge success. Depending on who you listen to, traffic and orders on that day either approached or exceeded typical Black Friday, Cyber Monday levels, and uh, signups for Amazon Prime increased by over 14x their average mm-hmm. on last year's. And I'm sure they were they went ballistic this year. Go ahead. And just moving it to a less busy time of the year where you don't have the peak crunch and the logistics. Exactly. I mean, the calendar is this astronomical phenomenon of why things need to happen on a certain day is totally arbitrary and therefore irrational. So moving it to a more obscure time of the year is a really good call on Amazon's part. It's something you've mentioned a lot, and we've talked about it, I think, on Valentine's Day. You were like, convince your sweetheart to take take her presents after Valentine's Day, and you can get chocolates at a 50% discount. In Amazon's case, you know, shipping is expensive when everybody's trying to meet a Christmas deadline, but if you move it into the middle of July, it makes all the sense in the world, right? And none of these dates have any significance. I mean, Christmas wasn't on Christmas. Yep. There's, no, there's no import to any of these things. It's just all a head case and a very expensive one at that. Yeah, so let's talk about why Amazon does it. The core reason is because Amazon Prime Day, you need a Prime membership to sign to participate, so it encourages people to sign up for Prime and or try it out. And I'll let you jump into why they want people to sign up for Prime. Sure. I mean, it is worth it. I mean, Amazon actually could develop their business. At, I mean, what's so scary competing against Amazon is they don't need to profit on any of the things they're selling against you. So they can just drive everybody else on the planet out of business and then they can pro- make money on their prime. That's exa- That's one thing I want to talk about. Everybody says, oh, Amazon doesn't have to sell at a profit. And the reason is because if you do a prime membership, it follows what I'm going to call the Costco model, right? Costco, they don't make a lot selling goods. Actually, if you look at their business, 
selling goods covers all of their overhead. Mm -hmm. All of their profit comes from the Costco $99 annual membership that you get. And Amazon can do the same thing, right? If you buy a Prime membership for $100, they can use all the stuff you buy to kind of cover their overhead and then treat that Prime membership as their profit. And uh, it's a great business because it's sticky. Uh, There's evidence that people will stay with Prime for seven years. Prime members order a lot more stuff, depending on who you listen to. A normal Amazon user buys about $500 or $600 worth of stuff. A Prime user will buy somewhere between $1,200 to $1,500 of stuff every year. So go ahead. And, you know, they, they select people out whose time is valuable. I mean, I look at uh, any kind of purchase I make, and I, I almost only shop on Amazon. Again, the same way, uh, yep. But uh, I, uh, I could uh, do a ball out of bother and spend fuel in my time and go out to some strip mall and buy it. Or I could even spend some time negotiating or shopping around. Or I could one-click. And I frequently find that just the busyness of doing anything other than one click is unjustifiable. Agreed. I just click it and I don't have to think about it anymore. Agreed. And then if you think if you think about Prime Day as a way to encourage uh, Prime memberships, if you think, oh, Amazon gives me $50 off the TV, what do they get for it? Well, for that, they get a Prime membership that's going to last seven years mm-hmm. that I'm going to pay $100 per year for, and I'm going to order $1,000 more stuff from them every year. It kind of makes really good sense as a customer acquisition vehicle. And I, I hope they don't listen to this, but if they need to turn up the uh, price a little bit over time, they have pricing power. Exactly, they do. I think last year it was $90 a year for a Prime membership. This year it's $100, 10% price increase, and there wasn't a lot of churn. Uh, so let's talk. I, I think Amazon stock fell a little bit today because there were some uh, – it dropped like 2% during the day before recovering a little bit because people were having a lot of issues with checkout at Amazon Prime, which I kind of think, hey, it's a sign of uh, – it's a sign of – Success of Amazon Prime, if so many people are using it, there's issues checking out. But this stock sold off a little bit in a strong market. So let's talk about why issues at checkout could drive Amazon stock down 1% or 2%, which is 5 or $6 billion given Amazon size. Well, just philosophically, when we talk about margin of safety, we look at a lot of businesses that are less good businesses than Amazon, which most businesses are. Almost, yeah. <laughs> but, but, but we often can have a vector that goes off by 20% and we still make a little money or don't lose any money. In this, there's just not a margin of safety. Yeah, exactly. When you buy a business at kind of four or five X earnings, you know, if it's, if earnings go down 20% in the next year, whatever. But Amazon stock, you know, it's a $350 billion market cap company. It's up 20% this year, about 60% over the last year in total. So that's hundreds of billions of dollars of value getting added. So, you know, anything that kind of dampens the future prospect for Amazon will have a little impact. And the other thing is, a lot of Amazon's value comes from Amazon Web Services, Mm -hmm. AWS. And I'm not sure the best advertisement for AWS is, oh, our checkout counters kind of crashed right at at peak demand usage. Go ahead. uh, People say that the scariest single character email that anybody in corporate America gets is the note from Jeff Bezos that is simply a question mark. <laughs> and it's well-known culturally at Amazon. Yep. If you get the single-character email, you can have the problem dead and killed within 24 hours. Or you don't kind of – there's not a lot of ceremony. You just clean out your desk and leave. Yep. Uh, but when he asks that, you know, he, he means that his, his email address is well-known. It's also well-known that he's dyslexic. He's not a – he doesn't read lengthy things. He doesn't write lengthy things. But if he sends you a question mark email – 
you should have a very good answer very quickly. I have read uh, tons of books on Amazon. I'm sure you have too. And yeah. Jeff Bezos' temper, it, it is legendary at this point. So yeah. I am sure that whoever was in charge of the checkout function was getting some of those question mark emails. And he, he was not having as good a day <laughs> as the rest of us. Uh, Ten seconds, weirdest stuff I saw on Prime Day. There was a glow toilet bowl that you could get for $20. You could get gold slash diamond teeth grills for $12. Very much like the ones it looks like you're wearing right now. And there was a cat per audio therapy CDs for $10. Anything weird you noticed? I have or? no need for gold grills or cat per therapy audio CDs. However, I have several uh, young boys. And so a, the glow a toilet great bowl. toilet to help with aim is something that I do not mock. I, I actually might not mock a glow toilet bowl just for my personal life but uh let's move on from amazon and talk about the ufc sale this is we mentioned it in yesterday's podcast but uh ufc announced the sale to talent agent giant wme dash img for four billion dollars yesterday uh they're getting they're getting backing from pe heavyweight silver lake kkr and billionaire michael dell who partners with silver lake a lot they helped him take dell the company that everyone knows and loves uh, private about two years ago, and now they're taking EMC private in a deal we've discussed a couple times. Uh, WME probably knows the space well already. They represent several UFC stars currently, and they've even represented UFC in the past in media deals. And uh, the rumor is there were a number of parties interested, and WME had to beat out particularly several Chinese conglomerates. So, Chris, why don't you jump in there and uh, we can talk about it? UFC was probably uh, one of the greatest investments in the history of the world. Yep. Uh, it was really remarkable what they paid for this and what they're getting paid for it. And they did two things that I think are uh, just uh, uh, kind of emblematic of a lot of the people who make spectacular amounts of money. Uh, they lowered cultural standards and they did something that was borderline illegal when they started and then they helped move the line. Yep, so uh, what you're referring to is casino magnets, Frank and Lorenzo Fertitta, who will remain minority investors. They bought the UFC for $2 million, $2 million with, with an, an M, M, and sold it for in 2000 and they sold it for $4 billion with a B this year. Amazing. Uh, you know, they had given the CEO some stock and they sold a minority investment at some point, but obviously this is one of the best deals in corporate American history. Uh, they bought it because UFC was having a lot of trouble dealing with state athletic approvals, so they kind of got it in a fire sale. And they really made it mainstream by doing a lot of blocking and tackling. They turned the, their uh, athletes into mainstream superstars, mm-hmm. which every sport is as popular as its mainstream stars. If you think of basketball in the post-Jordan era, it wasn't really popular until Steph Curry, LeBron James, Kobe really took off. So they made their stars popular. They kind of took out the all the bloody reputations, put some rules in it so people weren't at risk of death and everything. It had been called human cockfighting and got banned in New York, and they took care of all that. And they bought out all their competitors and pushed abroad aggressively. So it's a great deal. Uh, anything there? Or do you want to? You could just imagine it would have been a controversial buy at two million dollars. There would have been people who would look to that and say qualitatively, "Here are the things wrong with that." Yes. And uh, they looked at their upside and their downside, and it was a spectacular good opportunity. And one thing I, I, I think is interesting, they were saying, I saw a lot of analyst reports that were saying UFC is really going to have to figure out how to uh, progress going forward because these guys who bought it at $2 million, they had a vision of where UFC needed to go, how to become a global brand, how to get mainstream acceptance. And without them driving the vision, it's going to be very interesting to see how uh, WME manages this. But it's uh, sure mainstream now. You look at who's financing it and you look at the deal. And yeah. This is like corporate America it, wants this. The now. biggest banks in the world are providing financing. The biggest PE firms and billionaires in the world are buying into the deal and helping WME out. So it'll be interesting. Uh, investing implications. Uh, I'll start and you jump in whenever you want. 
Uh, I think the major investing implication is in the WWE. Yes. Uh, ticker WWE. Uh, I know a lot of people might think UFC is a sport and WWE is an entertainment pro- product. So kind of what's how does that a good comp? But there is obvious crossover appeal. Several WWE superstars have become UFC superstars. Uh, the They share a very similar target audience. Uh, and they have similar business models. They're both TV events that lead up to big pay-per-view events with their main stars. Uh, and the last thing is both have deep libraries of historical matches and events that they own and that they have used to launch very successful streaming services recently. Go ahead. You know, you look at what Disney's done with their old cartoons and just having old libraries is one of the best businesses ever. Mm-hmm. You know, you can just bring these things back and kind of get things going on the streaming side and uh, the, the it's almost all margin. Yeah, yeah. Them. And it, it's funny you mentioned Disney because one thing I want to say is Disney, you know, they own ESPN and one thing ESPN has been increasing their coverage of recently is both UFC and WWE because they've realized that their core audience really likes it and it drives increased engagement when they focus these and both for the same reason people are very passionate about these things uh so let's talk about the financials here mm-hmm. wwe did 60 million dollars in revenue in 2015 yep. the rumor is ufc did about 600 million dollars in revenue but wwe kind of lags in profits 80 million dollars in profit in ebitda projected for wwe versus 200 to 250 million at ufc so i'll let you talk about why that profit disparity actually might represent opportunity for a buyer of wwe uh, there's a lot to improve exactly I mean, you look at it and i always think when I'm looking initially at public companies or certainly when I'm looking at projects that I want to do, it's in some ways opposite of private companies. And private companies, I want somebody who is a perfect steward, who mm-hmm. basically acts as if it was mine and who has cut costs to the bone and then cut a little bit of the bone. You know, just never, ever wastes money. Uh, but once you already have the company and you don't know and the market's looking at it, sometimes I look for opportunities where somebody's not being a good steward and where there's big improvements to make. Look, this is the Buffett 3G thing, right? Like, we can pay a high surface multiple for a really nice business. We can pay 20x earnings because we know once we get in there, we can take out 8x earnings worth of costs and we're effectively buying at 10, 12, 8x earnings. So WWE, they've got a ton of revenue and much lower profits. So mm-hmm. I think a buyer is going to look at them and say, oh, it's going to be a cakewalk for us to go in, buy WWE, get profits up by cutting costs. One thing is Vince McMahon controls the WWE. He pays himself and his top lieutenants very well. The first thing you're going to do is cut out those costs. Uh, and the company has very high incremental profit margins on every new dollar of revenue. I think a buyer is going to look to rapidly increase revenue and realize a lot of margin there. And WWE just renegotiated their TV deal, so they're actually going to see a lot of growth coming in in the future. Go ahead. When you have a superstar model also and you have somebody like John Cena, uh, uh, that helps you compensate all of the kind of average schmoes who are wrestling because, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you you can pay them in theory a little less. You can get a lot. You can try out a lot of things. And then if one of them makes it really big, then, you know, that's great for them. Yep. Uh, And the WWE, I think the big thing about it is it's proven, you know, it's it's heights are driven by its superstars, but it's a Mm -hmm. 30-year brand at this point. Uh, It's proven that it's bigger than any one superstar. Uh, so let's talk about who could buy them. Uh, I'll let you jump in with the first and most obvious one, probably. Uh, one that I would think about would be, well, we already talked about Disney. Disney's so the most obvious, Disney, yep. And uh, we, we, we've, we've talked about them uh, from time yeah. to time, and, and, and just, so that would be a clear fit. Just to jump in on Disney, I mean, look, John Cena's hosting the ESPYs. Yep. We, we talked about how ESPN gets increased attention every time they feature him. Uh, Disney could give them huge distribution. I think it'd be very interesting. The one question really is the cultural issues between WWE and Disney. But I think our our, our culture kind of swirls down the toilet. You know, you kind of have more 
more and more things that are acceptable. Everything is acceptable, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I think that that is probably okay. Uh, and then when you deal with the kind of fictionalized or kind of allegorical aspect of professional wrestling, like having it as part of ESPN so you can kind of just have flash like news or you know yeah. bits and pieces kind of it would really help with the storylines I, I think it would be a cool fit it, it would be a very interesting fit and very similarly i think uh you know comcast we mentioned them when we talked about them buying dreamworks i think comcast is an obvious one comcast owns usa which airs both the wwe's cable shows and they own e which airs wwe's total divas reality series so you could see a lot of distribution mm-hmm. synergies there licensing deals theme parks all that sort of stuff go ahead i think that whenever you have a big deal the comp of the buyer whether or not the next deal makes any sense at all mm-hmm. the deal team always looks yep. and so the likelihood that a talent agency like CAA will at least look at WWE mm-hmm. I would say it's 100% exactly so they're probably looking at it today yeah. CAA who is WME's big competitor says they're buying UFC WWE kind of like UFC let's go buy them think it makes tons of sense CAA also represents a ton of sports stars and I think there's obvious cross synergies between hey, basketball athlete X, why don't you go on WWE? It'll be great for your brand, and it'll help drive attention to the WWE. The last one before we hit our out-of-the-box one is there was a New York Post article a few months ago that said Dutch media tycoon slash billionaire, I think it's John DeMole, I want to say. It it said he's a shareholder, and he's had a standing offer into Vince McMahon to buy the company Mm -hmm. for a big premium. He's the guy who's responsible for Big Brother, Dealer, No Deal, Fear Factor, and The Voice. Obviously very experienced in media, and I'm sure he'd be able to think of a lot of interesting ways to uh, kind of monetize some of the WWE properties. Why don't you take our out-of-the-box thought? Netflix. Netflix, exactly. Uh, Do you want to take it or you want me to take it? Yeah, no, go. Okay, so Netflix. If you think of Netflix, the one thing they don't really do right now is live streaming sports, right? And if you thought of what you had to pay to live stream kind of the NFL or basketball or anything, A, they're tied up by ESPN right now, and B, it would be in the tens of billions of dollars. You could buy the WWE for their market cap's $1.5 billion right now. You can buy them for two or three, get access to all that content, and kind of use them to figure out a way to do streaming services. I think that makes sense. Not an existential risk. You know, you could, in theory, even screw it up, and it wouldn't be that big a deal. All the super big sports, if you bought them, and screwed it up it would be exactly. a huge problem and, and you can't buy the NFL you can only buy their streaming right sure. Right. so uh, the last one I think this is probably almost as obvious as Disney Chinese conglomerates they were very interested in the UFC I'm sure they'd be very interested in the WWE uh, WWE hasn't even penetrated China yet they literally just signed their first Chinese wrestler a month ago huge untapped market potential there Any anything there or do you want to talk about uh, fair valuation. Fair valuation. Okay, so I, I think the one issue when talking about WW as an opportunity, and we'll wrap this up real quickly, is at today's stock price, they're trading for $1.5 billion. That's already at an EBITDA multiple above the UFC's multiple. So you're really relying on someone to come in, buy you out, and pay you a lot for those synergies. So it has to be a pretty competitive process. And Vince McMahon has given no indication. He controls the company. He's given no indication that he's ready to sell. So you're either betting on huge growth from these new media contracts or kind of a sale at a huge premium. Aside from that, it looks it's very richly valued is what I will say. And I will uh, let you kind of have the last thought. Uh, just that this is the kind of thing that is literally interesting to us that we spend a lot of time looking at. We've spent a good amount of time actually over the last few weeks looking at it. But the last puzzle piece is just the price and we are price sensitive in all things which is why i believe in our disclosure we will mention that we don't know yeah yeah exactly the market is generally pretty efficient and in this case the market 
probably has it right. WDB is a great brand. It's a trophy property. If someone were to buy it out, it'd be at a big premium, but it's already got some of that premium baked in. Uh, that it? That's it. Great. So that's all the time we have for today. Before we hit our disclosures, just a reminder, if you like this podcast, please be sure to follow and read us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Audioboom. If you have any feedback for us, please feel free to email it to us at podcast at rangedcapital.com. Uh, Chris, we mentioned EMC a little bit earlier. We're both long a little bit of that. I don't have any other disclosures. Do you have any other disclosures? EMC. EMC. Okay, that's it. And we will talk to you guys later this week.